Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and who are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. Today we're beginning a two-part series on an unbelievably powerful and brave documentary called Not Alone. And it addresses the ever-growing health concern of teen suicide. Teen suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people aged 15 to 24. It is surpassed only by accidents, according to the U.S. Center of Disease Control and Prevention. Teen depression and suicide has been a topic we've wanted to cover for a long time, but for a number of reasons, it's difficult. And one of the main hurdles is getting parental consent for interviews. And the producer of the Not Alone documentary gave us permission to use excerpts from it. And so via them, you will be hearing really powerful interviews with teenagers themselves, as well as from Jacqueline Mineta, who did the interviews and came up with the idea for the documentary, and Kiki Gaucher, who produced it. That morning, I woke up to two text messages. One said, are you okay? And the other one said, did you hear? So I called my friend, and there was a long pause. And she said, oh my gosh, you don't know. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? She told me, my best friend killed herself last night. I remember I just like fell to the floor and I just closed my eyes. I was like, please, let this not be true. That's how the documentary Not Alone begins. We want to stress it's a documentary. This is not an after-school movie or a teen drama. It's real life. Jacqueline Mineta's high school life in 2011. She never said she was depressed. How would I have known this giggly, bubbly girl who made me laugh was suicidal? And shockingly, a lot more people in her area would soon be asking similar questions. Her friend's death was just one of several in California's Bay Area around that time, in what the media refers to as a suicide cluster. It is an uncomfortable topic for many, but teen suicide. 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 A 16-year-old student who committed suicide. They told me it's just sad that people are coming together to show their love for Jessica now when it's too late. I felt like nobody was talking about it. I felt like... Every time teen suicide and depression was brought up in the classrooms, mm-hmm. that it, that no, it, it was almost like the white elephant, that it was hushed, and that the teachers didn't want to talk about it, and it was too hard to talk about it, um, and some students didn't want to talk about it. I remember actually sometimes, like, if even the word depression or suicide came up in the classroom, people, students would look at, like, the students who knew someone who died by suicide, or um, it, it was just so stigmatized, mm-hmm. and I, I felt... I felt like every time a student would die by suicide, I just, I would look around and I'd be like, why aren't we talking about this? 
Since stigma, ignorance, and fear stifled conversations, Jacqueline looked for answers on her own, trying to understand what is so hard to understand, and to learn what she, like most of us, had never been taught about risk factors, warning signs, and ways to be there for someone who's hurting. As a teen, the first instinct where I look, I was online. And I was looking on YouTube for different videos, just really trying to connect and to understand where my friend was coming from and why she felt like she had to die and why she felt like she couldn't talk to me about what she was feeling. Um, And so I started looking online and um, I couldn't relate. I couldn't relate to the videos that were out there. Um, I couldn't relate to what I was reading. I couldn't relate um, to really the educational side of teen suicide depression. Like, yes, I started to understand it, but I couldn't feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't feel the emotions. I, I didn't know what the actual teens were feeling, what they were feeling like, but I knew so much about suicide, if that makes sense. Jacqueline was determined to make it make sense. So I decided to make a film about teen suicide and depression from a teen's perspective. No adults, no experts, no psychiatrists. I wanted to hear from the teens themselves. Jacqueline easily found peers who could share firsthand what it felt like to be depressed, despondent, even suicidal. At first, I was so excited. I mean, all these teens wanted to be a part of a, a film that I had kind of brainstormed in my head. wasn't sure if it was a good idea yet. And I had a lot of great feedback. But then the more I like realized it, kind of took a step back. I, I was astonished by all how many teens wanted to share their story and that they didn't have a medium yet to express themselves. And how many um, teens are in pain. Exactly. And how many teens are suffering. Mm-hmm. Which was just... I was... I was excited, but I was also really sad. Jacqueline approached producer Kiki Gaucher with her idea. Kiki immediately realized this was important. When Jacqueline brought this project to me, she had decided that the way for teens to understand they weren't alone, and she really pinpointed that in her mind, the most essential element missing from a teen's life that might take their own life is the understanding that they're not alone. You know, the understanding that they're not completely broken, that this is not so abnormal, that people go through this and they survive and they find ways. And And when I saw it, I saw something that I hadn't seen ever before. And that was that these kids were open and honest in a way because they were talking to Jacqueline than they would be talking to anyone else. And so I really thought, wow, we are sort of spying when we get this vantage point of watching teens talk to teens. Teens telling teens feelings they'd long kept secret. Experiences and struggles you just don't put out there when you want to be popular seem perfect or just be normal. What does depression feel like? Try to describe it to me. It's basically like um, you're drowning and you're watching everyone around you breathing. It's like standing in front of a window when it's pouring rain and thundering and debris is like flying in the room and you cannot shut the window. Like you cannot turn it off. Every single day was just like walking in like a big stream of water, like walking upstream and it's pushing against you so hard and you just think it'd be so much easier to just let yourself fall in. And it's so heavy and I couldn't lift it and I couldn't get out from under it. 
and I felt like I was crushing me. I, I just, I couldn't get up in the morning. I was like a zombie. We could give you 113 reasons why this film is what teens and families and schools could benefit from watching. It is real, heartbreakingly real, and yet hopeful. It can start much-needed conversations about mental health and our collective responsibility to learn how, and then be willing to, get help for people in need. And so this is basically the film that I wish I had my freshman year. Yeah. That I I wish my friend had her freshman year. Each interview, each conversation I had with the teens, I met my friend again and again. Hmm. Um, And it was sometimes really hard because I felt so guilty. I was like, wow, that is such a clear sign. And how could I have not picked up on that? Mm-hmm. Um, or wow, she, I remember her saying that. Why didn't I say anything? Why didn't I check in on her? Or even the talk when I was talking to teens about validation, why didn't I just listen to her? Why couldn't I just take in what she was saying and make her and make her feel better? Or I, I mean, yeah, for most. I think of my recovery, recovery of getting better and getting through this was the feeling of guilt. Um, anybody who loses someone to suicide does feel this huge, huge just weight of guilt. And with this age group, it is tricky. Any parent, teacher, or person who deals with adolescents will tell you that changes in personality, behavior, or sleep patterns can be easily dismissed as typical teen, and often are. But there's a line. I learned that self-harm isn't just about cutting. There are other ways teens hurt themselves, like drinking, drug use, and abusing the hookup culture of high school. Drinking and drug use is common in high school, and hooking up isn't shocking. But when I think about it, some teens took these to another level. Getting blackout drunk numerous times or smoking pot every day or using other drugs, or even hooking up all the time with the wrong people. These can all be signs that someone needs help. So candid, I mean, the way that they're willing to uh, reveal their their inner realities and share their challenges and their pain is exactly what we need to you know, put words to our experience so that others can learn from it and help us. I'd like to just quickly go over some of the possible signs. Uh, Jacqueline mentioned some. Some others are um, if if someone's talking a lot about suicide, if they've had a recent loss, if there is a change um, in their personality or their behavior or their sleep patterns. And lots of these things can go either way. You know, it could be that they're not sleeping, they have insomnia, or they're waking up really early and or they're oversleeping and they're sleeping all day. I mean, you know, so there's that. Uh, Change in, like, eating habits, fear of losing control, um, low self-esteem. What teen doesn't have that? I mean, this is so complicated. That's what I said. It is so tricky. And And speaking of no hope for the future, kind of believing that things will never get better for them. And you've still got two teens at home, so this yes. has got to hit you pretty hard. I'm a mother of two teens, and they are, by nature, erratic. As I watched this fabulous documentary, I'm struck how, you know, there's taboo about talking, mm-hmm. and we don't know what to look for. So where does that leave us? Mm-hmm. You know, we got nothing. 
Well, that's why things like this are so important, right? Because exactly. it's teaching exactly. Ground, so, but how can I mean? It's groundbreaking to hear people's stories. Yes. And that's why they want to get it in schools. There's a curriculum built around it. You know, we need good information, solid information, and then it needs to be connected with local resources. And I think it's important to remember that if somebody does reach out to you, you don't have to be an expert. You yep. just have to stand by them until you figure out how to connect them to somebody who is. Right. And, and the schools in this setting, schools are a marvelous resource because there's, you know, whether that's a, a school nurse or a school social worker or a guidance counselor, those are all great places to start. We'll post a link and it shows the different cable uh, opportunities and the different, uh, I guess they call them providers. Platforms. Platforms. Thank you. Yep. So on. Great. Yep. So thanks to all the parents who allowed their kids to share mm, their story. Thank so you for the kids so who share their story. Thank you for Kiki and Jacqueline. And we will have part two of this releasing next Tuesday. We hope that our podcasts bring about a little more understanding or help people articulate their experience of depression a little more. And thanks to each and every person who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. And you can find our podcasts on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, as well as on iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe, rate, and respectfully comment. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.